0: Hello, I'm Lori Hennessy. I'm the CEO of League of Education Voters in Washington State and welcome to Washington Game Changers. This is a one on one conversation with powerful leaders in a time when we really need to hear about the good that people are doing in this world. So I have three words for you. Critical race theory. You've heard a lot about it lately, which is crazy since scholars have been talking about it for decades. Kimberly Crenshaw, Derek Bell, many others have long been telling us to look deeply at how systemic racism shows up in many of our systems. And we've heard a lot about how we have to teach critical race theory in our schools. But now critical race theory has become controversial to some people playing a big role even in school board elections in Washington state. So I'm hoping that our guests today can help us understand critical race theory a bit. Edwin Lindo is a critical race theory scholar and educator whose faculty within the Department of Family Medicine at UW, and Assistant Dean for Social and Health Justice. He teaches, presents, writes on issues of race and racism within medicine and society, and he is a critical race scholar. Welcome.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Lori.
0: So let's start right at the top. What is critical race theory?
1: Yeah, let's keep it pretty simple. Critical race theory at its core is a tool of theoretical tenets that is observations of the world that was founded in the legal canon in the legal academy you mentioned professor Derek bell kimberly crenshaw there's so many others professor delgado mm-hmm. and their goal was at the time to bring a lens to law that interrogated how inequitable the legal system was through the lens of racism because before that time That discussion wasn't happening. Actually, the legal academy was telling these scholars that you can't even get promoted or publish on race or racism because that's not intellectually rigorous enough. And so its goal was to minimize it, diminish it, relegate it to the margins. And what they said was, actually, if you look at our system of laws, our systems of policies, they're deeply rooted in... The systemic racism that they've identified, acknowledged, and that they observe throughout the way the mechanisms work. But the the legal system, the legal academy, didn't necessarily want that to come to fore. So it was, and this is, we're talking late 70s, early 80s, and it was really an underground current of just maintaining this steadfast drumming of racism has to be at the core of the analysis if we're talking about justice in the legal system, that's Mm -hmm. where it started. Mm -hmm. Now, if we then broaden it, because it's found its way in education, it's found its way in, um, in medicine, it's found its way in many spaces that have realized critical race theory isn't this solid block of theory that only applies to law. It's a malleable understanding of the world and a tool and a lens to help us observe And interrogate how did we get here? Mm -hmm. Meaning, how did we get to the point of such inequity? Mm -hmm. Looking at history as a marker, Mm -hmm. but using the lens of the tenants. And the tenants are, there's a number, and some agree with all of them, some don't believe that all of them are tenants. And that's what theory is. Theory is we have. Tenants or mechanisms within a theoretical framework that help us understand the world. So, first is that race is a social political construct. It was made up for the purpose of maintaining a racial power apex or hierarchy or taxonomy. And it was created by white folks and it worked really well. However, white folks were also intending it to become a biological differentiator. And critical race Mm -hmm. theory says no, it's not biological. It was made for the purposes of this social hierarchy, the social power mechanism. Another is intersectionality. You mentioned Kimberly Crenshaw. She presents that to us, that people's identities don't solely lie in the one thing that maybe they present as openly, but the complexity of, complexities of our identities that Introduce two things. One, our identities introduce benefits that we may have based okay. on our identity and the social conditioning that exists in the world. Mm-hmm. But simultaneously, it explains the potential harms or the disadvantages one may have based on their identity. You combine those two things, and it's not as simple and cut and dry as, oh, you are X. Mm-hmm. It is, and Kimberly Kenshaw posed this because when presented to the legal system, There was black women that were suing for discrimination, but much of the legal system said you can only sue either as a woman or as a black person, but you can't quote unquote, double dip. Mm -hmm. So that means you had to choose an identity and that somehow presenting your full complexity was double dipping on the system. And critical race theory says that's absurd. We are more than just the unilateral layer that you want to present us as we're complex human beings and discrimination can occur in that complexity in that confluence of those identities other parts of critical race theory probably ones that you've heard more often now in mainstream media is that racism is perpetual and that's where people lose it right oh you're saying that racism will always exist you're blaming white people it's white people's fault no one has said that It is, again, an observation of the reality that exists. And some people say, you don't get to say what reality is. No, you all said what reality was. (laughs) We are observing it. No, we're not. Believe me, we would not want to suggest that racism is perpetual.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: But that is the evidence that has been presented. It's not us making this up. It is shown since. 1619 to 2021 that there is a perpetuate uh, perpetuating nature of racism what critical race theory says is that it is perpetual until there is the system that is transformed that is perpetuating so if you keep the same system then it's going to do the same thing and we know this this is what many people say i think it was Albert einstein how can you expect something different doing the same thing
0: that's That's called insanity insanity. correct
1: (laughs) so really we are operating under if if we take that that quote from from Albert Einstein the United States is operating from a position of insanity Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it and it creates this gaslighting effect of people particularly BIPOC folks black folks indigenous folks as though somehow they're making these things up that Mm -hmm. it's untrue that why would you suggest that it's It's racism and the boogeyman that is Mm -hmm. holding you back. Let's make it very plain. We don't want to be the victims. Mm -hmm. We want to have the full humanity and the full rights that were afforded or suggested Mm -hmm. from the beginning of the founding of this country. That just hasn't been the case from the disenfranchisement of voters, Black voters, folks who have been arrested, to the poor education that was offered to black and brown folks in this country. It's not an accent. We're just reading the leaves and Mm -hmm. we're saying it publicly. Another tenet that I think is important is one of counter narrative or counter storytelling. Mm -hmm. That is oftentimes we say history is written by the winners. Well, guess what? In racism, the winners aren't, black Mm -hmm. brown and indigenous Mm -hmm. people so it is the tool of storytelling from critical race theory where we say let's center these voices Mm -hmm. it's not we're trying to change history Mm -hmm. we're making a more fuller picture of what history is and it's difficult it's complex it's thorny The United States doesn't like thorny. The United States likes to protect what it believes it's pristine image of power, of benevolence, of providing savior of democracy across the world. And the truth is, it hasn't even done it in its own backyard in the way that it it has promised. So those are some
0: metaphorically we like our Thomas Jefferson's
1: (laughs) metaphorically we do. Right. And so. In a nutshell, those are some of the main tenets. There's others. I recommend people to go and do some research. But that's what it is. It it isn't a dogmatic. It isn't an ideological position of we hate white people. (laughs) Critical race theory says that white people are the, the reason that we can never get out of this. What we say is that liberal understandings of race, which come from white folks, Mm -hmm. are why we are here today and unless white folks as Mm -hmm. a system Mm -hmm. say and come to the position that it needs to be changed we're going to continue to have the uprisings because as thomas jefferson says there is no progress without demand Mm -hmm. the liberal agenda of race says oh no but we're good we had a black president more black people are getting out of poverty more black and brown people are getting educated. So we are post-racial. And that's, that's not true, one. Secondly, is that only benefits white folks. And it's really not just a benefit of economic means, but it is, I think, on behalf of white folks, this kind of liberal idea of let's, let's not see color, let's just all be in the same page, is an intent to protect the very delicate ego that is white misconceived power i say misconceived power because i i don't want to you hear people say white supremacy i don't use that term
0: people because it, it
1: no because it, it is an automatic assumption that there is white supremacy yeah. and i don't i don't adhere to that yeah there are white folks that have power that have leveraged that to their benefits mm-hmm. there's a mm-hmm. system of whiteness that have leveraged that to their benefit
0: mm-hmm.
1: but no one is supreme over me mm-hmm. but that again even in the language we use right it's already indoctrinating that somehow i am submissive to someone else i thought we were all human beings right but already there is a conversation that's the the way it's it's being taught And you have white folks say we need to fight white supremacy, but also BIPOC folks. And I'm saying, no, that's a I'm not going to suggest that there is white supremacy, not because I don't believe that there are white people who think they are better.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: It's that that belief that they have is founded in the complete untruth of what is equity and what is justice. And so it's just a white person who is ignorantly believing that they're better than someone else. But those aren't the dangerous folks. Now, let me explain how CRT operates in its practice. The analysis of understanding that those aren't the dangerous folks. The dangerous folks are the ones that say, no, Edwin, we support you, but sinisterly realize that they have a vested interest in power that they're not going to let go.
0: This is the Martin Luther King quote, those who are most dangerous are the well-intended moderates i think
1: yeah he wrote that in the letter in birmingham jail Uh, i think it was 1964 and he said i'm most disappointed in the white moderate clergy who would rather preserve Mm -hmm. civility Mm -hmm. because it's safe than justice because of the discomfort and i'm paraphrasing but that's effectively what what he meant
0: wow so those are the those are the folks that are really, um, the risk there going back to, I interrupted you, the risk going no, back to good. those to those folks is that they still want the power systems, but they're going to express concern, express empathy, but we still want those systems that have for too long put me in power, put us in power.
1: Yeah, and it's it's almost a conditioning, mm-hmm. right? And, and people this is the United States. And now we'll get into philosophy. But if you think of egalitarianism, right, egalitarianism is the fodder for exploitative capitalism, which is what we operate in. Mm -hmm. That being true, when someone says they deserve reparations, the first response is, but did they earn it? Yeah. They weren't in slavery. And so then I asked the question, we should rephrase the question. How did they not earn it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because if we're talking about unpaid labor, for example, if any one of us in 2021 was unpaid for our entire lives, there would be a major lawsuit that would set you up for the rest of your life and probably the next three generations. We're talking about multiple generations of folks who never received compensation for their labor,
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And somehow we're supposed to forget that.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: But apply the equality now. now oh, mm-hmm. now, now we should be equal. Yeah, that's one point. Second thing is about this idea of unearned privilege, and some people, mostly white folks, get upset. Edwin, I don't have privilege. I grew up poor. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about that. Yeah, you did grow up poor, and that is a disadvantage as we speak about intersectionality. But the privilege we 're talking about is not that you somehow received something mm-hmm. that someone else didn 't mm-hmm. The benefit we 're talking about is you didn 't have to overcome the obstacles that someone else did, yeah, and so it 's the unseen benefit of mm-hmm. if you didn 't know what an obstacle was, then you don 't think you benefited from something
0: mm-hmm.
1: you 're like of course well the world 's supposed to be like this,
0: yeah
1: well, guess what that person had to jump 15 walls, climb 25 ladders, just to make it three quarters of the way up.
0: Yeah.
1: Where is the fairness there? Oh, mm-hmm. well, they, they should just work harder. They work six times harder than you. And they're mm-hmm. still not at this position. Is it about putting guilt on white folks? No, it's about understanding the conditions that we operate in, how white folks want to move with that information is their prerogative. They mm-hmm. can move in a way that I, I, you know, I have white folks say, and well, what should I do?" And I say, "Well, I think the place we should start is the the moderate, reformist idea of what justice looks like just mm-hmm. doesn't actually work mm-hmm. for Black, Brown, Indigenous people."
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they say, "Well, I, I can't be the radical, go out and protest person." And I say, "Well, let's ask yourself this." If you were alive during the time of slavery, would you have Mm -hmm. been an abolitionist or would you have been someone who said, I'm just here to survive? Mm -hmm. That's their issue. Mm -hmm. It it makes it very clear.
0: Powerful. Yeah.
1: And that's the point that we're in now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So how do you so why now? I mean, it's come up in terms of this, um, as we were talking about earlier, this very, very um, politically, I wouldn't say astute, but predictable move to use this as a flashpoint for people who live in fear. And and someone, I mean, I, you and I talked about an article that I had seen about some, someone saying, oh, I decided not to use a new phrase. I used a phrase that's already out there. I mean, how did, what have you found out about this now becoming such a cynical campaign now to scare people in some of these elections talking about critical race theory as if it's a crazy new um extreme thing i don't understand how it all snowballed
1: yeah uh there's a few things one as a critical race scholar this isn't this isn't an issue like Mm -hmm. it's not actually an issue you you can't ban critical race theory Critical race theory is the observation of inequities and racism within a society and, and explaining it to the world that mm-hmm. this is how it occurred and this is how we got here. Yeah. How you ban that, I'm not, I'm not sure. <laughs> Number two is that we're not, uh, an, I don't also have a concern because we're not talking about critical race theory.
0: Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. The
1: critiques or the concerns or the bills aren't talking about critical race theory. Yeah they're talking about American history. And so what they're trying to ban is the true telling of American history. Mm -hmm. So instead of it just being, oh, George Washington was an amazing fighter who fought for the liberation of Mm -hmm. Americans and founded this country. It is including, he also owned slaves and had his one slave hold his horse while he went across the river and his, The slave that was holding the horse was a young child who froze to death and was found frozen, still holding on to the reins of this horse. That's not even critical race theory. That's just those are historical facts. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Critical race theory would look at that and then say, yeah, and we can't just look at this individual as this amazing person, he was a slave owner who had a vested interest in the perpetuation of the exploitative nature of the capitalism this country was founded on. Mm -hmm. No, I'm not going to celebrate him. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: But if we, if we don't tell, so the the history is is the history, it's Mm -hmm. the analysis, then that is where critical race theory comes in. And to be frank, middle schoolers and high schoolers aren't learning critical race theory
0: mm-hmm.
1: that's just not what is occurring we may have some teachers that are excited to teach the the true history of what's going on and some white families are getting upset that their <laughs> students are learning that Abraham Lincoln was not a great person and mm-hmm. is not someone who i celebrate because he actually didn't want black people to mm-hmm. live freely in this country Mm-hmm. He is what I call someone who was anti-slavery, but he was not an abolitionist mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: because he agreed to sign the Emancipation Proclamation. But what most folks don't know is he was also part of the American Colonization Society, mm-hmm. which months, if not weeks before he signed the Emancipation, they had entered into a lease with the island off of Haiti so that they can send all free black folks or as many as they can to this island it was also the american colonization society that purchased the land of liberia so that they can colonize liberia with black american people so we have to dig so this is why i love critical race theory is Mm -hmm. that it takes the history Mm -hmm. and when you put the picture together Mm -hmm. then you get the analysis of crt comes in to explain he is not abolitionist he is anti-slavery. He 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 said these people shouldn't be put in bondage. Yeah. He also in the same verse said but I would never let them marry my daughter. So what is he? He is a person that had a vested interest in preserving the union and used the abolition of slavery mm-hmm. as a tool to mm-hmm. make sure that the confederates didn't win because black folks were going to be used as the soldiers in the confederate army but when he set them free they could no longer be their soldiers because they were free but in the exact same breath he didn't free most of the states in the union
0: do you have do you have someone who's off i do i have little estela <laughs> this is great we get we get the real interactions going on in our zoom world.
1: <laughs> All right. Yes. We uh, are doing the, the COVID uh, home care. It's,
0: it's part of our world, man. I know. Um, so this is, this is so fantastic. I'm, but I'm thinking, so if we have critical race theory and then we have teaching about true history in schools, um, just assigning the academic title of critical race theory to the whole idea of teaching the true story of schools. I mean, I know it's been over-referenced of late, but I am one of many people who never weren't learned about what happened in Tulsa. And that's now become a bit of a litmus test for people of my generation. Did, did you actually have true American history taught to you? I certainly did not. So how do we speak if we're not going to be misusing the phrasing critical race theory? How do we speak about the fact that kids are not learning about our true history all the way up through k12 they just don't
1: well i think that's that is the the intellectual gymnastics that these (laughs) folks are using to to deflect what's really happening by pegging it as critical race theory it now Mm -hmm. has a target because the term Mm -hmm. itself someone says critical race theory that must be (laughs) that i don't i don't want to associate with that i don't see race yeah yeah right because most folks talking about it don't know what critical race theory is, so I don't understand mm-hmm. how they can be against it. <laughs> as far as how we should talk about it, I, I think we need to keep critical race theory in the spaces that it operates in, which mm-hmm. is used as a tool in many of the graduate level studies. And mm-hmm. Much of the work that I and others do of applying it to systems, applying mm-hmm. it to understanding societal behavior which is a deep, complex analysis and understanding that they're using it because they're terrified that if their children learn the true history of this country, they may not be as happy with it as they'd like them to be. And so really, this is a self-preservation of Mm -hmm. the American ideal and or the white gaze of comfort. because once you puncture it, you don't unsee it. Yeah. Yeah. and you're like really this is what i and and it happens all the time in my classes i have students yeah. that come some are older and i say three days into my class they go edwin i feel like i've been lied to my whole life yeah i'm like you have been yeah. and i and i don't i don't tell people how to think i'm literally presenting mm-hmm. historical facts yeah. and saying so through our tools of critical race theory How do we put these pieces together Mm. and people come to their own conclusions and they say, geez, this is a lot worse than I ever, ever anticipated.
0: And when I know your focus is a lot of your focus is around medicine, right? right? In terms of the inequities that we see, Um, just tell us a little bit about how did that come to be your passion and what do you think people should pay attention to? when we look at some of the inequities that we see in our healthcare and our, in our world around medicine.
1: Yeah. I think it just so happens that I'm, I'm doing it in medicine, but the mm-hmm. truth is where whatever space I'm in is where I mm-hmm. try to implement the work. And I'm glad to be doing it in medicine. I think yeah. it's a space where there's enough folks who believe in doing or getting to the correct answer.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And they're willing to do the work. However, even the indoctrination and the conditioning of racism has seeped deep into science, as we all know, deep into medicine, that it has taken some work, it has taken some deconstructing, some de-understanding, some unlearning, and simultaneously making what folks would call making the unknown Mm -hmm. known. How do we see the things that we had never seen before? And when that once that happens then people you see it everywhere, it's yeah, yeah. in the exams that you take, it's in mm-hmm. the equation for your blood test, it's in mm-hmm. when you give birth, it's the yeah. inequities in giving birth, it's the mm-hmm. pharmaceuticals, it's the way that medical students are taught, yeah. it's the foundational belief that many physicians believe that black people have a higher threshold of pain. Based on no science, Mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm.
1: and it's not even taught. That's not even taught in medical Mm -hmm. school. I've looked at the curriculums. I've Mm -hmm. read the presentations. It says nowhere in there, so that means it's deeply rooted in the upbringing, Mm -hmm. reinforced because no one, no one disproves it, right? In undergrad or in graduate school, but when someone comes in with the belief, "Oh, of course we're different," yeah, then. Unless someone disproves you, that's what you're going to believe as you walk into the clinic taking care of patients.
0: What did you call, um, I think you said the lifting of the veil or um, this sort of, um, once you start seeing the inequities that have surrounded you enti- your entire life, what I find as a middle aged white woman is I now see things everywhere. Yeah, It's like someone is slowly taking away a, a gauze. You know, yep. and and it is uncomfortable. And I mean, I was the head of my PTA when my kids were mm. growing up, and all of a sudden, fundraisers look different, right. and advanced classes look different, and yep. testing kids and assigning them roles, restorative justice in schools, yep. how we identify who the difficult kids are in class, everything looks different in right. education to me.
1: Well, maybe that leads us. I think we got time for, for yeah. this one one last topic, which yeah. is education. Yeah. And I I think many of the folks listening, yourself included, are probably familiar with the Brown v. Board of Education case. What would you say most of your listeners would say about Brown v. Board of Education?
0: I would say most of the listeners would guess or would assume that it led to schools finally being integrated.
1: Right. Let me tell you how critical race theory works and why it's so important. So Dr. Professor Derek Bell right, wrote a law review article critiquing through a CRT lens, the Brown v. Board of Education decision. Mm-hmm. Right. It's known as a landmark case yeah. of integrating schools. Well, mm-hmm. there's a few things we have to consider and, once you see it, then you're like, I can't believe it. But this is this is the tool of CRT. Mm-hmm. So number one, not once in the case mm-hmm. was there ever evidence that suggested integrating schools was going to provide better education for the Black students. So the case was actually just an integration of geography,
0: yeah.
1: of material space. Yeah people are going to sit in the same rooms mm-hmm. do you ever remember it saying that they were going to receive equal education
0: no now no. now that you're saying it it was more about just opening the door letting
1: correct someone in. so there wasn't an obligation for them to be taught the same one number two which students were integrated into what schools
0: for me it was always thinking of black kids being integrated into white schools
1: Correct. And it's not just you. That's all that happened. There was no integration of white students into black schools. Yeah. (laughs) So what do we know about our funding Mm -hmm. for public education? We know Mm -hmm. it comes from real estate tax. That's a different discussion. There's
0: great inequity in funding.
1: Yep. But in this scenario, Mm
0: -hmm. uh,
1: as we know, funding is determined by the number of Butts that are in seats. Mm -hmm. If you have more people in your school, more students Mm -hmm. in your school, you will receive more funding. Well, if we integrated black students into white schools, who's now receiving more funding?
0: The schools that are left without as many kids.
1: Uh, Who's receiving more funding?
0: Oh, the schools where everyone went.
1: Where everyone went.
0: Bigger. Yeah.
1: Yeah. All the white schools. Mm -hmm. So there is now a material economic interest. Whether they said it or not, they were still going to benefit from it without having the obligation of allocating those resources to these black students. Mm-hmm. Third point, what happened to all the black teachers?
0: They just teach in the schools where, well, actually, from what we understand, most, most schools don't have any black teachers.
1: No, no, um, no, During Brown v. Board of Education. Oh, during Brown v. Board. So when they, when they integrated, did they integrate yeah. teachers?
0: i don't think so they did not yeah
1: so you had a generation of black teachers Mm -hmm. that lost their jobs and their professions no one talks about that Yeah. yeah the fourth point is once integration occurred the knowledge base the the success of the learning literally schismed white students got better yeah. Black students got worse, worse than what was happening in their black schools.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And someone say, wait, Edwin, are you suggesting that we should have kept segregation? No, what I'm suggesting is even in the quote unquote benevolence of this country, you're trying to integrate mm-hmm. schools, it harms black people. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because it could have been that white students went to black schools, black schools mm-hmm. got more money and black teachers mm-hmm. get, kept their job. Yeah. But that wasn't going to happen. That's critical race theory. We Mm -hmm. take something that is presumed to be that. I mean, no one would ever suggest you critique Brown v. Board. It integrated Mm -hmm. public education for the betterment (laughs) of our school system. And in three minutes, I just described how it actually became one of the most harmful things to our young black students and our black teachers. How do we reconcile that?
0: You do know I could basically talk to you for 24 <laughs> hours <laughs> i have so many questions we're gonna to have to talk again what tell me last thing where does someone go if if someone's just starting the journey of wanting to lift that gauze away from their eyes and start seeing things differently but they're not in school at uw sure or where do they go where do they start
1: well uh shameless plug i <laughs> and estelle uh my my partner and wife We run a social justice library and bookstore called Estelita's Library here in Seattle, Washington. And you can go on our site and we have a list of books that people can really start with and Mm -hmm. they can explore. Um, And so you have books like um, um, Intro to Critical Race Theory. Mm -hmm. You have books like which aren't necessarily focused on critical race theory, but Mm -hmm. Paulo Freire's book. Pedagogy of the Oppressed, which and he's an educator, and it's he's a much of the grounding that I have in how I do this work. Um, but honestly, it's even just starting from unlearning the history that we're used to. And yeah. so, Howard Zinn's, right, The People's History of the United States,
0: mm-hmm.
1: how we don't even teach that, it like that should be a, requ- a required reading for most of our high school students. I remember a young kid that came into the bookstore, found the book on the shelf, started reading it, and he said, Hey, I need. I need a piece of paper and a pen because this I'm learning about Christopher Columbus. And here it says that he scalped people that he killed 200,000 people in Hispaniola. Mm -hmm. That is not what I learned in class. And I need to show this to my teacher. Not right. All of a sudden switch. Now this young person has a critical skill of trying to understand how do I reconcile what I believe to be reality with what I'm reading here. And it's going to be that honing in that builds. Up. The last point I'll make is, if someone asks me, "Do you, do you th- would you like, or do you think critical race theory should be taught in primary education?" Like I said, it's not. It's a it's a difficult skill to acquire, but I wish it was. <laughs> meaning that they had the skill, the critical thinking and analysis to be able to understand the world in its clearest form, based on the evidence that society has provided us, we would have children that would be walking the world. And I mean, I, I, would, I would feel safer because I would know that they understood where we came from, what it takes to get us where we need to go. And they would do that work. But in all truthfulness, it feels oftentimes as though It is a regurgitation in our public education for our young black and brown folks, a regurgitation of what Benjamin Franklin wanted, which was you created workers and managers. How do we create the critical thinkers? Right. The ones that question the system to make it better, the ones that push the system in a way that the system has to respond and say, well, geez, I haven't thought about it that way.
0: This is great. Um. Thank you so much so bookstore we will share in our episode um link that we send out there do you have a twitter handle too should people yeah, follow you
1: feel free to follow me on twitter it's at edwin lindo all right um and I'm happy to engage with you on there as well
0: well this is great and again i want to thank you um, for just a wonderful discussion and we will we will definitely get both the links out there um, so In the meantime, thank you to everyone for joining us today. This has been a fantastic discussion. And you can follow me at Lori A. Hennessy on Twitter. And I'm also on LinkedIn. And you can find this recording on our website, along with the Washington Game Changers link to all of our other recordings. Um, Dr. Ben Danielson's on there. um, Estella Ortega from El Santa de la Raza. And some other wonderful um, leaders in the community. And they will now be joined by Edwin Lindo, who's fantastic. And I've loved talking to you so thank you thank, so much. thank you so much again.